When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. <laughs> I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> There's the smile. Gets them every time. Now we know we have a good guest, and we do have a good guest. I'm going to introduce him momentarily. But of course, I want to welcome you, the listener, back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. We're back for year three. This is the beginning. We had a little break last week, took a couple weeks off. Now we're back, and we're starting strong. Uh, I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me, usually, <laughs> setting up for the disappointment, uh, is our other co-host, Bryce Johnson, or other host, Bryce Johnson. Uh, unfortunately, Bryce could not be here today. Uh, members of the other side uh, already know that a few weeks back, uh, Bryce's father passed away. So he's doing good. We love him. We miss him today, uh, but he had to go... Uh, Take care of some family stuff, but he will be back next week with us. And uh, we love you, Bryce. Our hearts go out to you. We we really miss you today, especially because the high strangeness that I picked for later in the episode. Boy, oh boy, would you have some insight in on it, Bryce. So we love you. We'll see you next week. With me always is your super producer, Riley Bray. And um, I'm going to bring in our amazing guest. He's an actor, a comedian, and a podcaster. You know him from his amazing podcast, Super Ego, James Bonding, Pistol Shrimps Radio, and Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, as well as appearances on shows like Drunk History, Comedy Bang Bang, and Community, and so much more. It is a genuine pleasure to introduce you all today to Mr. Matt Gourley. Oh, yeah. What's up? Oh, he's growling. I'm a Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Hi. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for being on the show. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm sure your listeners probably know this, but the journey up here is into the mountains Ooh. is this most amazing. It's the most beautiful, amazing place in studio. I may never leave. They don't You're really. Welcome I mean, to stay. We, we talk about being in the canyon. We don't say which one yeah but grand canyon we're grand exactly, canyon. exactly. Yes, at the very bottom yeah we, oh yeah and then sometimes when people need to use the restroom we send them to that big uh building that overlooks with the glass floor right yeah and we put franks really and beans in our flashlight and that's what we eat yeah exactly you know, we really do need, we've been talking about doing something out at like Shaver Lake for so long. We really do need to do an on-location episode where we're out in the woods someplace. Good idea. That would be really fun. Late at night, campfire sounds. Yeah. 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 Instead of just putting them in yeah, after we, the fact. We do a fake version of that over on our Patreon, BCC The Other Side. But, uh... um yeah, I've, I've, I've. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? Have you ever been there? I apparently was there as a baby. 
Oh. And I don't remember it, but I've never been since. That's like one of, when you're like like when your parents take you to Disney World when you're like two. Yeah. And you have no memory of it. Yeah. What's the point? My memory is them them telling me about it. <laughs> right. They own my memories. <laughs> they do. Right. Oh, parents God. own at least four years of your memories. Yeah. And then what happens when they forget them? That's my intellectual property. <laughs> Cease and desist, mom. Yeah. <sighs> you grew up in California, correct? Yes, born and raised. In Whittier. Yeah, that's oh. right. Yeah. What, was there any... Um, let's talk about your personal paranormal history, if you have such a thing. Um, was there any local folklore in Whittier? Like, was there any haunted houses or legends, urban legends? Was there any, like... Monster from Whittier, California. I mean, it's a pretty... Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, I didn't know Nixon was from Whittier. He was born in Yorba Linda, but he was raised in Whittier, and then he went to college there, and that's where he met his wife. The only musical he ever did was with Pat Nixon, who he, that's how he met her. What was his, Wait, what? I didn't what know that musical? story. Yeah, I don't remember what the that's musical a... is, but... Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> I'd like to see Nixon in South Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like a dame. Exactly. I nothing would. In the world. Oh, I really, God, give me a time machine. Hitler, <laughs> Hitler you can live. Yeah. <laughs> I got one trip in the time machine. I'm seeing Pat and Rich and Dicky doing their uh, doing a wash that man right out of my hair. There's there is not that I can think of any wittier like folklore or supernatural stories. I'm determined to be your best guest that has no supernatural oh, history whatsoever. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We've had some, but we always have a delightful time. Yeah. I was at a party last night. I was t- talking to you guys before we started recording and um uh with a friend he's turned 40th. It was a Halloween thing. I know by the time you guys hear this, who cares about Halloween anymore? Um by the way, sidebar, I went we had a go in costume, which I'm really lazy about and uh i did what i thought was a total phone in this is a group of friends where we actually get together and quote unquote ironically watch the bachelor right right really really into it i've been involved with that in the past too (laughs) yeah that sort of thing uh so i was like well i'll go as the bachelor i just put on my suit and then bought a dozen roses and just handed the roses out. I'm telling you, it was a hit. It killed. Uh, it crushed. And there were good costumes there. And everyone's like, you have the best costume. I was like, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. Um, but I brought up the party because my friend's dad was there. And he was telling me about how he had recently had like massive heart surgery. There was something, I forget what the condition was, but like the membrane around his heart started like filling up with fluids oh, and God. constricting Ooh. his heart. So he had to have this massive surgery. And he said in, in the recovery, he was in the hospital. He ended up being in the hospital for like a month. But the week after surgery, he said something went really wrong. And he's like, I pretty much was dying and I could sense myself dying. And I was like, what happened? He goes, well, you know that thing about the light at the end of the tunnel? That totally happens. He was like, I was there and all of a sudden I could start seeing these lights. And I knew that's when something was going wrong. And then he's like, I saw like my vision tunneled and I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And then I could hear voices around me. He said it was the people, you know, the nurses and the doctors freaking out. And they saved his life, obviously. But um, I was like, did you see anything on the other side? He's like, no, there was no, like, family or loved ones. He's like, but 
what they say happens is true, at least with that light at the end of the tunnel. He's like, I didn't get too close to it. I didn't get, but he said, it, the way he described it, he was like, he was out of his body experiencing wow. this whole thing. So it's always fascinating when you hear those kind of stories. Yeah. I mean, they're f- frightening for an obvious reason. But then there's, a, it's like these guys are like people, people like get that closer a little bit like astronauts, just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. shooting yeah. out, getting a real, getting a close look and then coming back down to earth. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I, no, I thought I read something about even like a scientific um, basis for that sort of thing that your brain, when it comes close to death, goes into like throes of endorphins yeah. or something yeah. like that. That's kind of like almost purposefully putting you into a shock state yes. that probably could alter your brain into like that kind of, whether it's real or not, or hallucination or just a coping thing. I don't well, know. Well, he said, this was fascinating. He was like, He's kind of come back, and he's like, I'm kind of a changed man now. He's like, the oh. thing I can tell you is there's nothing to fear. He said he felt like his body was floating in warm water. And yeah. It was very comforting. He he was aware that it was happening, but he wasn't terrified. But he could tell. He was conscious of like, oh, this is going not the way it's supposed to, <laughs> and I am dying. He's like, but it was very comforting. And they, you know, they say they release it at birth and death. And we've talked about it on the show that your your brain releases a, a flood, a gush of DMT, dimethyltryptamine, the the the, the uh, chemical uh, in your brain that's produced in the pineal gland. They believe, and that's the stuff that, like, when you do ayahuasca or you can smoke oh, okay. DMT, you they say you like go to other realms and see like other dimensions and stuff. So I think that's probably that could be what's happening. It's nice to know stuff. though, like if you're either traveling to the great beyond or going nowhere, <laughs> your body's taking care of you and letting make sure your last moments are comfortable. Yeah, yeah. right. And good. Yeah. yeah. No, it does seem like the brain going into like a protect mode or like yeah. a self soothe, like it's built into the so you don't have to have the shock so bad. But yeah, you wonder is it just the brain comforting itself or is it the brain opening up to accessing something. Right. Else. Like, okay, Guess now we're all going to find out one. Yeah. Day. That's right. Isn't that terrifying? Are you scared of death, Matt? <laughs> I'm not, but I think if I sat there and thought about it, I would be. Yeah. You could get yourself scared. Yeah. Of death. yeah. It still feels Let's just like here knock on wood. Far enough out about dying. I know. <laughs> Turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do, I do have that thing where, you know, Sometimes, especially when I'm stressed, I'll like wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, I'm going to die one day and I'm going to, it's the, it's knowing, it's kind of like what my friend's dad was going through. It was, it's knowing that it's being, it's the thing that freaks me out, I think is like being aware of it happening while it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like a thing. It's like that weird rite of passage, you know, the final, (laughs) the final passage. I'm, I'm almost more afraid of the slow decline to death. Like Mm, having, you know, like ill members of my family watching what they go through yeah and that just feels depressing yeah. You know? yeah but but i'm i do have like there's part of me that's kind of excited about the last second this kind of thing that this guy was talking right. about and i'm not like a real afterlife believer but that's not to say that i don't think there could be something i guess i'm kind of agnostic in that yeah. sense so there's part of me that's actually excited because i'm one thing i feel relatively sure of is Whatever it is, we can't even conceive of it now, so it's not worth like preaching about or any of that stuff. But just, yeah. but there's a there is part of me that's like, what if I get to heaven and heaven is 
every version of my favorite movie that was supposed to be made that never got made on a right. shelf that you can just watch all these alternate versions of oh. movies like or like you just look through history's mysteries and go oh that's what happened there that's what happened there whatever it is like even if that's not the reality of it there's some like uh like virtual world that's tailored to us individually so that that would be my desire and so that's what you get and even if you're hallucinating like your brain's releasing chemicals and who cares it's still real to you you know yeah i think about that too just like what if the afterlife is just a complete command over your own reality and it is like a personal heaven i I think about that all all the time like and i love that idea of like the films that were never made or like all that you get all i mean it's arguable that if there is something on the other side, if there is an, a higher dimension, then if we still have access to this dimension, the way that, let's say, angels or ghosts do, or family members that have crossed over and people say, you know, I, I'm getting messages from my mother or father on the other side, then if there is like a multiverse, then it's possible that maybe we just, it's like a hub to all the other alternate oh, dimensions. Yeah. And we can look at all that stuff too. You know, maybe yeah. that's where we get. You know what's what's a movie what's a movie well, that you like, wish it was made that was David never made? Lynch was originally supposed to direct Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah, exactly. So yeah. I want to see that. God, if you're listening, yeah, I'd like that heaven prepared for me when I arrive. Yeah, he's just like, well, just walk through this multi multi dimensional doorway, and you'll get to go to that reality yeah. and view that reality. Man, I just got off on a huge Lynch kick. I finally finished Twin Peaks. A couple I've never uh, seen. Oh it. man, you gotta yeah, watch it. I know. It's, I haven't done the sec- the new season I yet. I loved The Return probably more than the original show. Oh, wow. It, I'm sure a lot of people thought it was weird, but... Boy, I, everybody I talked to liked it. Yeah, okay, good. Because, I mean, you know, I'm Universal. watching it after everybody, so... Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Riley, what do you think about... When you think of heaven, what do you think about? I, I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't yeah. think heaven's a thing, really, personally. But Got I, it. I think it's way more abstracted than that. I do, yeah. I do kind of think that's the dissolution of the ego. Like, I think that that goes... I'm not planning on being me. Wouldn't that be after nice after I die? Yeah, it is. Yes, and, and, <laughs> that feels in a way, I'm like, liberating to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had enough of me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm sure you all also have. So <laughs> let's move on from this yeah. one. Agreed. But yeah, I mean, but I I think of it that way. Kind of more uh, return to the source, like just the it's just borrowed borrowed energy, borrowed spirit that's part of like this bigger spirit, and it returns to the the ether or whatever it is, the, the, you know, the, the big lake of spirit. And then it comes back out and drops and of people. So do you, do you believe that there's like a collective consciousness on the other side? I'm for lack of a better, are are you part of something? Are you self-aware even though your ego is, I think dissipated? I think yes, but not in a way we could comprehend. Like, I think the universe is probably conscious, like, but we just can't understand that. Right. And you just return to that. Yeah. Consciousness. That's that's, a, yeah. that's sort of the thing I always come back to is whatever it is is by definition we can't conceive of it yeah. because it's just otherwise we would truly have a sense not and I don't mean like organized Sunday religion version of heaven there would be some scientific sense of what an afterlife is and there's l- literally nothing right so it must be something that we can't wrap our heads around if it's there yeah and it's that's like, exciting it's like the speed of lighter entering yeah. a black hole it's just like a threshold that we can't cross it's yeah. just we're not made to do that there was a uh, fly trapped in my bathroom yesterday and i it was one of those things where i don't i don't want to kill the fly i try not to kill bugs i mean i look look i eat hamburgers so i know that there's <laughs> some cognitive <laughs> dissonance yeah. there but uh look, but you I'm, don't eat fly burgers i don't right, eat exactly. fly burgers that's yeah. for sure it's not a monster no yeah. no <laughs> but 
fly burger. But uh, I, you know, so I was like, well, uh, what I'll do is I'll shut the bathroom door because I was in there shaving, and then I open up my little window and with with the screen, and then I kind of cracked the screen open. And it was flying towards the window, and it landed on the screen. I was trying to help it through, and then it would fly over to the other side of the bathroom. And I was like, I'm trying to help this fly. Yeah. And it has no idea what's happening in its reality. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's only just being a fly. Yeah. But, but, but it made me think, like, what forces outside of ourselves are constantly trying to communicate with us, constantly trying to help us. It's like, fucker, I am trying to get... You are trapped in the bathroom. (laughs) You are going to die here, or another person is going to come along and swat you. I am trying to get you to where you need to be, but you have no... I have no way to communicate with you. Yeah. And I have... You have no way... You don't even know that I'm here. (laughs) I feel this way when I take my cat to the vet, and she's in her little carrier just looking at me like, you bastard. Yeah. (laughs) You're... you. I loved you, yeah. and now I hate you. And I'm like speaking English to her, going, "You don't understand. This is for your own good. This will keep you around longer. We can be together longer." And there's no, there's nothing. You know, yeah. she just is just fear and anger in her. But that's what I think we do. We, I mean, yeah. I'd like to believe, and I, I, you know, we go through a bunch of different stories and history, you know, uh, theories and cryptids and ghosts and stuff on this show. But I tend to be like you, Matt, where I'm I'm kind of agnostic at the end of the day. I'm like, we don't know. We're not going to know. But I do attribute, I personalize it a little bit that way, where I think, you know, if there are aliens, if there are, if there are, there's a God or gods or some other force beyond life, it, it must be some version of that where we just can't comprehend it because we, we are only built with the body that we have and our you know the our ability to you know our five senses and our ability to experience this reality in a very narrow tube really yeah there's god you know so if there is something there i think it's trying to help us but it's just so hard interesting i i love that i go to bed thinking about that kind of thing a lot and and this thing from carl sagan always resonates with me that like science is all great and wonderful and he's not being you know facetious but just as important as imagination Mm -hmm, so i almost like to think about this stuff in like a sci-fi sense or like a a writer's sense and that knowing that a lot of the best theories of of physics and stuff kind of come out of dreaming or daydreaming or just imagination and then i start to think about that stuff too where it's just if they were trying it's not that like they're necessarily maybe that they're trying, but yeah, we don't we don't possess certain senses. We even know like cats can smell way more than we can. There could be a dimension we don't smell, or like right. an ultrasonic or ultraviolet or something like that. And that stuff fascinates me to no end. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah. It's big, big stuff, <laughs> big stuff. Um, so growing up, were you raised religious at all? It's funny, no, and then. Later in life, my family got very religious. Really? Yeah, it was kind of like the opposite. What what happened? I'm not really sure. (laughs) I'm still wondering. (laughs) What happened Uh, there? (laughs) And it happened piecemeal throughout. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like my mom and then my my mom met my stepdad at a church. Mm -hmm. And that happened. And then my sister met her husband and then they kind of both got religious or what kind of religious are we talking evangelical about? Christianity. Oh, wow. okay yeah. that's like a big swing yeah to say the least yeah that's about yeah that's as wow. big a swing as you can swing i think is it um look i'm not gonna trash anybody's religion but like it must feel like 
Because usually you hear about it happening in reverse. We're like, oh, right. we were religious. Then my mother or father became disenchanted with the, yeah. the this stuff, and we kind of dropped out of it. I would imagine it has to be almost like watching family members join a cult. It felt that way, yeah. And uh, like I think if we had some tension for a few years... I used to think that it was kind of the the judgmental element of the church, but the more I looked at it, the more I realized I was bringing a lot of that distance myself, if not more, yeah, right. out of like a kind of like preemptive sort of expectation of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my family, as religious as they are, are not the type to judge, right? And they they put people first. I had some real issues with it, but I realized that was more on me. And now we're as thick as thieves. They're, oh, that's they're great. still very religious, and I'm not at all. And and it just really doesn't factor as much anymore. So, but it was a, it was a long road. And again, I think that was me taking that road more than them. They, I think, for the most part, were kind of sitting there going, "Like, what? Nothing's changed. Yeah. We still love you." It's you not know? like when you go visit, they slide a pamphlet under the door. No, there was, get, a couple, there was a couple. Of like, those <laughs> you found a Bible moments. on the bed. And you're like, What's even this? more direct. And, oh wow! And I have to admit, I was pretty like, "Nope." Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. You know me before. I'm grandfathered in. You can't. <laughs> you can't try to do this. By the way, mom, I'd like those memories back, please. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you don't have the rights to those. That's an interesting perspective. That's a good point because I I think a lot of the people that aren't Christian feel that where they're like, oh, I, they're like I'm being judged by them, and so you preempt, and that you are actually then being the the judgmental one. Yeah. It, because I don't. There's something about that divide though of, of people being like, oh, you believe I'm like gonna burn in hell. Like, right. and we can all be friends and a lot of Christians yeah. don't believe that. But when, when that fundamental wall, I think makes people that are non-believers like put up that guard Yeah, and it's a, I don't know, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, tension to work through. But. It is. And especially when it's just in your immediate family, right? it was, it was weird for a while, but got through it. That's good. Yeah. I like yeah. Your perspective that's nice. on it. yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause like I've, I've even like dated people who are, I'm like, Oh, they go to church every Sunday and I'm like, oh, this relationship's not going to work. Out. You know, like, I mean, yeah, meet somebody at your church, which I think the one I'm thinking of, she did. You know, it's like, but it is funny because I'm not really hard. Like, like I said, I'm agnostic. I was raised Presbyterian. Uh, my dad didn't go to church. He was a lapsed Catholic. My mom is very non-judgmental. You know, she's very involved with her church, but she... We were, it was never like a Bible beating house. And she also was very open to ideas. You know, if she disagreed with a concept, because I would often bring these sort of like sci fi things to her. Like, for example, like, Mom, do you think Bigfoot's the missing link? You know, like, is he maybe between like, you know, because I was always trying to unpack yeah. like evolution in the Garden of Eden. And she'd say no, but then she'd also say, but the you know the Garden of Eden's just a story. It's just a parable. Oh, Adam yeah. and Eve are just symbols. And I'd be like, oh, cool. So it was nice that I grew up in a house where my mom did you know does believe in God. She thinks Jesus is the you know the the living embodiment of of God. And uh, but she's able to not like, literalist. She's not a yeah. literalist, which was That's very nice. very uh, good. I think for me. Because uh, I struggled with anxiety about God watching mm. me and heaven and hell and all that stuff. And after being years in therapy, I now realize, like, oh, those were some early uh, signs of obsessive thinking. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that is a correlation, because I didn't have 
any of that growing up. And I never had that kind of worry that I was being watched or judged or would be punished. Yeah. Yeah. I had real uh, trouble with God being able to read my brain. I think my and, wife has some of that because she grew up Catholic. Cool. And so yeah. I would, of course, think of horrible things. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I'm no, like, oh, God, no. oh, God. Like, I remember <laughs> I, I developed this, like, obsessive thought when I, for this was like, this lasted way too long. This is also like, <laughs> clearly didn't live in a household where I felt comfortable enough to share this information with my parents, you know? <laughs> so I could have gotten some help, but I would be going to sleep and I'd be like, Fuck you, God! 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 And I was like, No, I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. And I would cry because I'm like, I'm gonna go to hell. Oh my god! You know what? I hear that, and I bet that's way more common than you think. Because what's the natural response to having that kind of like dull oppression all every day? You know, that kind of cloud. Yeah. And then I think I got through it eventually because I was like, Look, and this all things that like a. A, a second grader does not need to unpack. Oh, yeah. But I was like, look, Michael, if God exists. <laughs> Sweating. Then he created, <laughs> he created a mirror. <laughs> he created your brain. He understands how brains work. And he knows that this isn't how you really think. That's a strong point. So <laughs> yeah. don't worry about it. And it was kind of like I got to that point and then that vanished. That's you know? nice. Oh. But it was rough there for a while. I should mention that I dabbled very briefly with Christianity myself. In many ways, I was kind of an earlier one in my family when I was a senior in high school. You got them all into it. Well, yeah, no, I will not take that <laughs> blame. But I had just enough, and I call it my like vaccination of Christianity, where right. I dabbled just enough, uh-huh. didn't like it, and I was like, okay, that ain't going to take. Well, how that how that happened, and what drew you to it? I think a couple friends in high school brought me to some function and Mm -hmm. you get saved and then they were doing it so it was just i guess a sort of like go with the flow kind of thing and then it carried over to my first year in college and i ended up doing a bible i wasn't running the bible study but being part of a bible study with this campus christian group and it just didn't take long before i realized like this is weird and then one of the guys it was almost like a bait and switch he's like well now that you're coming to bible study i've got to go off to a mission in korea i'm gonna hand you over to tony and tony was this militant like creepo where at one time he had me over his house for like a bible study and we sat on a couch smaller than this, like a love seat, and his wife was on the... I was in the middle, and they were on either side of me, and they were both just sort of <laughs> looking at me. And he goes, you know, my wife and I never even kissed before we got married. And Ooh. I don't know what his point was, but it was like oh. psychosexual. <laughs> and Someone was like, a unicorn. Do you want to kiss my wife? Do you? <laughs> She's never been kissed. <laughs> and and I, I remember like getting out of there in much the same way like you would in the movie Aliens. Like, go, 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 get behind me, get behind me. <laughs> There's like acid dripping yeah. through the ceiling. <laughs> and, uh, I ditched him and I never looked back. One day on campus, I like was walking and I hear Matt. And it's like the crowd literally kind of parted. And there he was sitting at like a cafe table. And I was just, just staring like, at your ass. Yeah. <laughs> he was a... I wonder what um, happened to that Tony, guy. Where's Tony now? Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. I bet you'd be... I bet there'd be some fun surprises when you find out. <laughs> I know. You found out. I wonder if I could ever remember his last name. Oh, God. I don't want to. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of... I remember they fired my favorite Sunday school teacher because she was too hip. <laughs> and because she it was cool like our sunday school study would just be like that's a supreme court case but yeah, uh, yeah right. they were like we would go and she'd like 
be like, so my neighbor's kid threw a party this weekend and, you know, the cops had to come and she was like, do you guys ever do that? Like, she wasn't like trying to be like, you guys like to drink. She was just like, you know, they lied to their parents and their parents got really upset. And, you know, there was a bunch of, you know, they trashed their yard and. And she's like, you know, the house was a mess. And she, she would, like, take, like, real-world things and not even necessarily bring up God or Jesus, but we would just kind of, like, unpack, like, yeah, is it worth lying to your parents about? There was, like, there was, like a real real-world application yeah, to a lot of this stuff. probably pretty practical yeah, and, totally. and, like, really and constructive. Yeah, and it was yeah. kind of cool because then you'd be like, oh, yeah. And then you got to hear about everybody else's, like, opinions on, well, I don't think it's a big deal if you, like, drink, but, you, you know, or this or that, you know. And it wasn't like she was collecting information on anybody, you know, this wasn't yeah. like uh <laughs> we're just trying to establish a trusting dialogue yeah. with the youth. Yeah. yeah, and it was just kind so of they fired her, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we would come in every Sunday and just kind of talk about real stuff. And I was like, this is kind of cool. It was almost like just teenage group therapy in a way. Yeah. And they fired her. And then I was like, Mom, I'm never going back to church again. She's like, Okay. <laughs> How nice. She's like, All right, I can't force you. I was yeah. like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, every now and then she'd be like, I wish you would. I'd be like, No. Yeah, I opted out in fifth grade. My my parents what? tried to send me to a like a Christian school and I oh, went wow. for most of the year and I just like hated it. I hated it. And like they I I remember telling her we would have these assemblies where we'd like sing the songs. And I just tell I was like, I feel like they're brainwashing me. Like <laughs> oh everyone like, gets together and they sing these songs and like nobody even really knows what they mean. And we all just <laughs> sing them and it's weird. And then the final straw for me was they like did the thing where you accepted Christ as your savior. And one by one, they like brought us into a back room with like this priest and you would like accept Jesus. And I was like, this feels like some sort of coerced, like gulag it's or a, something. It's, it's a, weird. Well, it is. Like, right? It's really weird. I mean, it is. <laughs> we forget that, you know, in suburban America, all over, there's just like, there are, uh, churches are basically just like, you know, places of ritual, you yeah. know, and there's, and a lot of these are like old, old occult, like, well, it's going back 2,000 yeah, you know, years and plus. Just but like, I'm down with the occult. Give me some occult ritual. I know, yeah. but it is. No, <laughs> yeah, but it's that just, I would have been At least they got some style. <laughs> I know, but it, it is funny that it's if you just like swap out the costumes and a cross for like a goat head and suddenly you're like, oh, okay. Oh, this is oh yeah. <laughs> this is Christianity's evil. no no less weird than Scientology in my no. eyes. Yeah. I mean, they have all got some... I mean, at least Scientology's got a sci-fi element. I know, I'll say right? that about it. I mean, I find that a little bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. But it's that... Whatever the old quote is, like, the only difference between a religion and a cult is 100 years. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, just old. I know. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me that, you know, but people are just... Take it for granted. But I remember sitting in church and being like, Holy Ghost. I want to talk more about that ghost. Yeah. What's up with that ghost? Yeah. What's that ghost? What is the Holy Ghost? Can uh -huh. we talk? Like, I hear a lot about Jesus and God, but what's the Holy Ghost? Like, I wanted that stuff. Yeah. Are we talking white sheet or? Yeah. <laughs> I would always abstract. think. I was just pictured like Jesus, God, and then a dude in a white sheet, like hanging out in between Ooh. them. You, know? you should start a church that's like just, just the Holy Ghost, like yeah. a spinoff. That would like be that. rad. Yeah. It's just Halloween themed all year round. Yeah. Ah, God, God and Jesus are kind of, ah, they're a little corporate. I'm, I'm kind of going to do my own thing here. What am I? I don't know. Let's find out together. Yeah, we just let's focus. take a peek under the sheet. <laughs> That's the slogan for the yeah, Church of the Holy take Ghost. Take a peek under the sheet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, did you have any fascination? Like, you're a sci fi guy. 
Uh, I know you're a Star Wars fan, yeah, like me, because we've had conversations about the vintage Kenner figures oh, before. I could talk all night. Remi- <laughs> reminder, Bigfoot Collectors Club, yeah. it's in the DNA of the show. I think some people sometimes get upset when we diverge and start talking about toys and stuff, and yeah. I'm like, this is kind of how it, we used to have yeah, a Collectors it's a, Corner it's a, segment. Not yeah. entirely a paranormal No, podcast. no, it's not, yeah. no. There's still a also little... Also toys. Look, I have a spiritual connection to those toys. Yes, there exactly. you go. Is that thing? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you big pop culture guy. Yeah. Was what were horror films, ghosts, Bigfoot? Did any of that play a role in your life? Well, horror up? films hugely. Um, I, I was sort of sat down by my babysitter and my sister when I was about four, or f- six, oh, wow. five to watch Halloween with the lights <gasps> off. Whoa, that's yeah, young. I've told this story before, so just that's it in a nutshell. And it just f- fried me. I was, I, I still have trauma to this day. I don't sleep well. I'm doing a podcast currently with Paul Rust called In Myers We Trust with Gorley and Rust. Well, oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I've heard you Rust, I, have, yeah. I need to listen to that. And it's like a deep dive on the Halloween series. Cool. And and I just, that has stayed with me for my life. And wow. I'm not afraid of it consciously as an adult anymore, but subconsciously and recurring nightmares occasionally. What? How does it man? How did the nightmares originally manifest themselves? Like, it's what, always what been the same be? that I'm running from Michael Myers, often in the house where I was born and raised that my mother still lives in, mm-hmm. which is like a 50s tracked home as as middle class as you could possibly be. And it has this circle in the house where if you go through my room, which had two doors, to the back hallway, to the living room, to the front entryway, you could run in a circle. And I just had this dream where he was just chasing me over and over. Oh. My mom, too. And like the only way for me to leave was to kind of leave my mom behind. So there was like oh. a, a kind of emotional oh. element to it, too. And... Yeah, it just just like followed me all these many years. Whoa. And I still kind of wake up around 20 minutes in every night kind of like checking to make sure I'm safe and I don't sleep well. It's well, horrible. Well, join the club, man. Yeah. Yeah. back to that. I'm right there with you. Yeah. That that would have fucked me up because that movie for me was ET. Oh. I was fascinated with ET. But also, it frightened you? As soon as the sun went down, I was like, E.T. is going to look at me through my window. I had, I, I was terrified. I Man, had recurring I for that. I know. Well, <laughs> I was, I, I, <laughs> running, I don't know why. Instead of Michael Myers. Circle. Yeah. I'll trade you <laughs> boogeyman. Yeah, right. No, like a but, sweet <laughs> alien. But he became, he became a boogeyman. It was like, almost like mm. we would play in the woods. Because I grew up right next to the woods. And it's like, oh. E.T. and I would hang out in the woods. And then I would go home for the night. And I'd be like, okay, here's the deal. Stay in the woods. Do not look at my window because it scares me. And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> and then I'd go to bed and I'd look over and E.T. would just be staring at me wide-eyed through the window and it would wake me up. It was that. I lied. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was the tr- it was the lack of trust. And he's like, the- <laughs> what can you do, Mike? That makes me feel right here every night. That makes me feel like there's a cold snake going up through my throat right now. I just picture like the group therapy between Michael and ET about the the breach trust. It's like the four of us in a room. Yeah, Michael Myers just standing there with a knife, sitting there with a knife quietly. Even that image gets me. (laughs) I actually think I have that movie. To thank, or I don't even know, blame for my skepticism and kind of like dive into science and rationality. Oh, because you had to force yourself to uh, be a skeptic. Yeah. yeah. So I, that great fear was so steeped in me that 
this was also in the like last throes of the Cold War, so I was very conscious that a nuclear bomb could go off at yeah, any point because there was also yeah. like that movie, the the day after, yes, was sure. on TV. Lawrence it, Kansas from yeah. Lawrence Kansas, not far from where I grew up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and that that, and then growing up in Whittier, we had a really big earthquake when I was, I think, uh, fifteen. Okay, and it was super scary. And so those three three things were kind of these, like, my big fears. Like, there were three things that I couldn't, I had no say in. I couldn't control. They could come for me at any time. Obviously not Michael Myers, but right. the idea of that, like a slasher right. coming to the suburbs. And so I remember being at school one day, and the earthquake had just happened, and people were like, did you hear Nostradamus predicted this? And the, he predicted that another one's coming, like May 31st. Just all that Whoa. kind of, like, bullshit gossip. And it just petrified me, and I decided, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta look into this. So I started reading about it, and I started reading about, like, the the desire for people to kind of put patterns on things and believe in mm-hmm. things and look for order and see faces in the wilderness as a kind of like hardwired survival mechanism. And I started to understand, like, you can't control this stuff because of science, but you can at least understand it, and that like was somehow a great comfort for me. Right, and. And that's just kind of what put me on whatever path this is. You know, it's not that's a, interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating to me too because as you were talking, I was thinking about. And I don't want to give anybody I, any ideas here, but it is. <laughs> it it is curious. fascinating <laughs> that of all the horrors in this world that have come true, that there aren't more people putting on Halloween masks and going on slashing rampages in real life. You know, you feel like that's something that. People would actually They even do. do it in the movies. Like, there's one Friday the 13th movie that's completely a copycat killer. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. a spoiler for Is part that, five. Yeah, it's a shitty chapter in five, the Five, right? Yeah. But, that, but that's the thing. It's like... It, and Halloween. It happens in Halloween. Yeah. Kind it, of. Yeah. There are... Ser- I mean, obviously, serial killers are real, but you don't... Like, the the scream guy. You know what I mean? Like, that. that you yeah. feel like that would happen. That would actually be happening more. I, I know. Mean, just to throw that out there, it does and is like all the time like we there's so many like the the shootings yeah are well out, that's like what, that's crazy no like, i know that out of control i'm just saying in terms of literally putting on like a a, a costume you're talking about more stylized yeah stylized like re, like copycat killers are like i am gonna put on a uh jason mask you know hockey mask yeah if machete. i were killed by a copycat killer wearing a michael myers mask yeah. i i i don't I mean, I die. I'm getting killed, right? Yeah. That's the concept here. But yeah. I just, I would die. <laughs> I, You're like, stop right, like, stop yeah, right there. I'm, I'll do it for yeah. you. I will just lay down and go right now. Hold Every Halloween, I go to South Pasadena with my wife because it's just this kind of like fun family area where there's like all these haunted houses. But it's where the Michael Myers house from the movie is located. Oh. So all these different Michael Myers come and like descend on this house. And they're like tall, short fat skinny and they're all just kind of like it's like it's comical and they circle each other and they're kind of like getting off on it themselves they don't speak and they just kind of stare at you and tilt their heads yeah and i sit there like a kid who doesn't know whether to be afraid or it's like immersion like, therapy yeah, yeah, yeah. you subject yourself to this every year I, generally yeah because it feels like a, a way where i could do it on my terms <laughs> yes <laughs> and like it's it. fun but there is part of me that's like i kind of need this like, yeah legit. well it yeah. clearly manifested a, a fascination if you've watched all these films yeah how long did it take you to return to the movies and watch them between ages five and what when did you go back and watch i think about uh, it was probably a good 10 years, and by then I had nightmare envisioned so much of the movie. Because also, 
half didn't see the movie because I was too afraid so I would leave the room, but the rest of the house was dark, so I sat in the doorway and listened oh, to a God. lot of it. So a lot <laughs> of it was like a made-up version. Then when I saw <laughs> it, I'm like, well, where's the scene where they're all, you know, like bloody on the stairs? And that didn't happen. Right. Yeah. And, but it did in my mind. Yes. Right. You went and wrote yeah. the rest of the movie, filled yeah. in what was happening with those sounds. Uh-huh. And the first movie's not gory at all. You no. barely see any blood, but in my mind... Because like I'd also seen the trailer for The Shining, where the elevator opens up and That's, the blood pours out. That gave me it nightmares. It was all conflated. That gave me nightmares, and I saw it when I was 18. <laughs> you know what's funny about that trailer? They weren't allowed to show blood in trailers when that came out. So Kubrick said that it was rusty water oh, that's to the right. ratings board. And they oh, were like, oh, wow. well, I guess you can do that then. I saw that in the theater. We went with my parents and saw the movie Going in Style with George Burns, Art Carney, and Lee Strasberg, like three old people wow. that, that rob a bank, which they remade recently with like Morgan Freeman. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Alan Arkin, I think. Yes. But I saw that in the theater and... Like, we're going to see this lighthearted <laughs> bank robbery <laughs> comedy heist movie of old people, and there's an elevator with just blood and that music, and I'm a kid in a movie theater, and I just remember going like, oh, I shouldn't be seeing this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> totally. my, anybody going to help me out here? <laughs> that happened to my nephew not too long ago. They went to go see a film at Alamo Draft House. He's older now, but this is maybe five years ago. He's about 10 years old. And they showed a preview for The Shining before this movie because it was part of their like Halloween yeah, horror right. fest and they were seeing something completely unrelated and it gave my nephew horrendous nightmares Ugh. and the next time we went to the movie he's like can we go around that time he was like he was like uh can we go outside just in case they show that shining trailer oh that you know? breaks my like, heart it Adam. truly does because that was the worst that was the worst when I was a kid I would always have an anxiety attack going to a movie because I was like what yeah, previews are we gonna see? Oh. And my dad would be like, "Cover your eyes," and he'd like, "Well, he his do that voice. Hands. That's so, worse." Yes, I know. <laughs> well, that's just always how he sounded to me. I mean, he just always Cover sounded. Cover your good. eyes, <laughs> Michael. I love you. <laughs> No, he never said that. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but, I, uh, I used to work at a theater, and like people would bring their little kids in to see Chucky. And like, I understand that as an adult, you can see that ironically. Right. But as a kid, I just would look at them and go, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your toys are all alive and they want to murder yeah. you. Yeah. It's horrible. I didn't watch any horror movies when I was a kid. Yeah. I was, too, I mean, again, I could take something that was friendly and pervert it into something evil like E.T. <laughs> I didn't need the, you know what I mean? Well, it makes me think, are we just, that's going to happen it's all relative. Like, you're going to be afraid as a kid. Yeah. You know? I Just wonder. What do you attach it to? Well, that's the yeah. thing. It's like in Return of the Jedi, speaking of which, like, my dad wouldn't let me watch the Rancor attack. I was four oh. when the movie came out. And I, so that was one where I was like, oh my God, it's so much worse. I thought it was so much worse than it was. <laughs> and I had the toy, I had the picture books. Wow. So I kind of knew what that scene was, but I, was, I didn't really watch it probably until it came out on home video. And then I was like, well, this doesn't scare me at all, you yeah. know? And and like when I saw Aliens, I saw Alien and Aliens Pretty. That was like the first rated R movies that I watched. And I was like, oh, these guys don't scare me. And my, my dad was like, my dad literally goes, I will show you these, just don't get nightmares. And I was like, okay. don't wait, setup, yeah. what? That's, that's <laughs> not how this works. And then I remember, don't get nightmares. <laughs> yeah. And they were watching it, and he's like, is it scary to you? And I was like, actually, no. I, I literally remember going, I'm more scared of E.T. than these guys. So I think I learned later. I was yeah. like, oh, the stuff that's designed to be scary is fun, 
it's the stuff that's innocent yeah. that turns evil. So Chucky, I would not have been able to handle. That was just interesting. That, that was making that movie for me. I, I too, I look at Halloween now because I'm rewatching them, and it's crystal clear to me that though these movies carry a lot of weight with me, people watching them, young people now watching them, see them the way I saw Frankenstein and Dracula. Like those yeah. are campy, Camp. almost boring and insignificant kind yeah. of things. I appreciate them now, but at the time, you're just like, oh. A, a Dracula, a Frankenstein, yeah, right. a Michael, a Jason. They're classic movie monsters now. With They carry no like fear yeah. or weight over these. But they did. Oh, God. At the time, they must have, because they were so well, huge. They did. I can speak to that personally. Right. Yeah, of course. They did. Well, yeah. and even though I'm not talking about the classic Universal oh, yeah, monsters. Yeah, right. They had to. Oh, yeah. I just recently rewatched, I think it was last year at Halloween, I watched all of those, and I got to say, The Invisible Man is fucking hilarious. Really? You I've never watched... seen it. No, oh, no, it's great. He is, the character's such a bastard. <laughs> and all he's doing is just like being really rude and like kicking people's chairs over. And I mean, he's he's a menace to society, but it's also like his his like attitude and his like tone, it's it's really funny. Like yeah. you're like, I kind of like this guy. He's hilarious. But he's it's just this dude being a dick to an entire town. <laughs> we're like we're like all trying to capture him and he's always like getting one up on them. It's so funny. You have to watch it is it's such an in the old school special effects in it hold up. They're yeah, pretty pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty great, you know. Those, yeah. Um so I highly recommend the original Invisible Man movie. Um there's one other thing that you said so I'm trying to remember. Um I was just thinking I wonder I wonder like what's carrying that weight now. Like what is the scary thing? Good question. Now. Oh. I, I don't think I know. For kids? Yeah, like what is it? I think it's pro- well. It was like Who you know, ten years ago, it was like yeah. Slenderman. It was like creepy pasta. I think. Like, oh yeah, internet, I think internet, oh, like internet. Yeah, thing. I think internet stuff is like. Media. I read the yeah. story, and I don't know if it's true or not. That kind right. of stuff probably scares yeah, kids. That's probably true. Yeah, um, Slenderman. I'll t- you know. I'm scared of Slenderman. <laughs> that's some scary shit. Yeah. Well, that's, like, that's not real, but like well, maybe. Yeah. But again, that, that, that's, that's, that's an example of like a meme that carried over into real life with those girls. Right. You that's know, right. That yeah. Stabbed their friend, and fortunately, that she lived. Yeah. But like, that's what I mean. It's like I'm just surprised more people aren't putting on. I know. Michael Meyer masks. Yeah. Is it true that it's God, William, stop saying that? Is it, is it is it true that it's William Shatner's uh, face cast? That's the first true, and correct? second movie. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah they, it's it's from an actual Don I think Don Post Star Trek William Captain Kirk mask store bought Captain Kirk mask. They ripped the eyebrows off, painted it white. I think stretched it a little, tweaked the hair. And that's the mask. And then in the second one, it's the same mask, but it had kind of like deteriorated. So it looks a little different. And yeah. then it gets changed from there on out. But right. yeah. And you can still, like certain shots in the first movie, you kind of get a like William Shatner vibe from it. And it's really odd. That is great. Yeah. I still haven't seen Halloween 3. Uh, the the one that has nothing yeah. to do with any of it. Yeah. I, I really want to see it's that. It's worth watching. It's a real anomaly and it's really fun and camp. There's a real like new appreciation for it. I still, I don't. It's not great. Yeah, but I like watching it a lot. Yeah, did yeah. Carp- Carpenter produce that? Not directed. He, correct? yeah, he he did a, a polish on the script, I believe too. Oh, okay, yeah, he did not direct it. I gotta see it. It's still 
as of this recording, Halloween season for us. So maybe That's I right. will watch it. Okay, we have a game we like to play with our guests. Lovely. Um, this is a, a hodgepodge list that our listeners know what I'm talking about. Um, we just came out of our Halloween uh, run where I tweaked this list, and now I'm sort of putting it back together. So it's going to be a little mix and match. This isn't listeners. This will not be the final list, but uh, we're I'm working on a new one. So here we go. This is called Bullshit. Or believe it. <laughs> so I'm, I am soundly in. Great. So I'm okay. going to list a bunch of stuff. If you believe it, say believe it. If it's bullshit, you say bullshit. If you're somewhere in between, you got to still use one of those <gasps> words. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. All right. So uh, Matt Corley. Yeah. On your mark. Yeah. Get set. Uh huh. Ghosts. Bullshit. UFOs. Bullshit. Bigfoot. Bullshit. Out of body experiences. Big, b- big bullshit. Alien visitations. Mm, bullshit. Alien abductions. Bullshit. Loch Ness monster. Bullshit. Mothman. Bullshit. Reincarnation. Bullshit. ESP. Bullshit. Haunted houses. Bullshit. Bermuda Triangle. Bullshit. The lizard man of skateboard swamp. Bullshit. Skunk ape. Don't know, but bullshit. Heaven. Bullshit. Hell. Bullshit. Demons. Bullshit. Angels. Bullshit. Chupacabra. Bullshit. Bat Squatch. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Uh, believe. The multiverse. Uh, believe. World peace. Would love to believe. Michael Myers. Believe. <laughs> <laughs> well done. A lot of bullshit. Yeah, yeah boy, of... I really outed myself. No, that's great. <laughs> it's, okay. it's fun. As Bri- as Bri- this is the point where if Bryce were here, he'd yell at me and say that the list sucks. Because he only likes it when people say believe it. He's like, this list, you need to don't, keep working don't put on it. put in Lizard you have, Man. You have to keep working on that. <laughs> yeah, he gets mad when I put in Lizard Man. That's why I kept it. Um, so you're not, no, you, no, no thought towards believing in ufos no i here's the thing i i actually guess i believe it's conceivably true because i think it's scientifically likely that there's life on other planets or other galaxies at least but uh, i guess what i mean by that because we had to pick one yeah i don't i think it's entirely possible anything i've ever seen or read about someone's encounter with it has seemed more likely explained by the the science of people looking for reasons or having hallucinations like i just don't believe them as credible i don't believe the person okay i believe of its possibility right yeah you just don't think you haven't heard enough evidence to make you come out of that camp no and and i've never seen any concrete evidence ever right like i think it would be there'd be no reason to pull that stuff back at this point right right so what so when you hear um, and it sounds like you should listen to this podcast because I feel like there's a hundred stories we've done that might might help change your mind, okay. but also right. might not at all. Yeah, <laughs> might not at all. I'm open. This also <laughs> I'm open. might not. But if if someone you trusted were to come to you and say, say your wife, mm-hmm. and said, I just saw a fucking classic flying saucer fly over the house, lights glowing. I don't know what it was, but that's what it looked like. What would you? I know this is writing on a big hypothetical, yeah. but like, what would you? How would you explain that away? Um, I would. I wouldn't try to prove her wrong, but I would just say like, there's so many other possibilities. It could be chief among them, just 
a hallucination. Like right. that just seems more likely to me than aliens actually flying a craft across our house. Right. Because it also just doesn't seem like a spaceship of some kind is going to really be the way. That seems like an old sci-fi sense of how yes. aliens are going to come here. It seems yeah. like it would be more, I'd be more inclined to believe aliens like shifted in interdimensionally. Well, we talk, or, we're big <laughs> okay. fans of that Well, now here. I'm listening. Yeah. Big Which fans. is, that's why, that's why I kind of hesitate on, I had to pick believe or not believe, mm-hmm. but that just seems like a more likely way for it to happen. What about the theory that some of these uh, UFOs or aliens are actually us from the distant future? Oh, I mean, that's fascinating. Wouldn't that be cool? And they're like, you're trying to warn yourself about something? Or, or just, just like, good job today. Well, or we... they're just trying to catch Nixon in the... <laughs> yeah, the they're like, oh, no, <laughs> when is Dick and Pat, yeah. when are they performing? Uh, but you could go... I, I just think if we could go back in time and look at the dinosaurs, we would. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have a feeling they're like, let's go back and see what was going on in the 20th or any of these centuries... And maybe that these alien, the alien greys, the traditional little skinny bodies with big heads, maybe that's what we evolve into, yeah. you know, a thousand or not thousand, but, you know, a couple million years down the, down the road or six million years down the road. It's a super fascinating theory. And I have hallucinated myself in a sense where I've had a Michael Myers nightmare. I wake up and I look in the hallway and there's Michael Myers. Wow. And Ooh. it's just like a... Like a half, I'm in my half waking sleep. Michael Myers is not in my hallway, you know, but I'm seeing him. And yet half of my brain is going, it's not real, but my subconscious, that's the thing that's more fascinating to me is like the subconscious of, and your brain alone, how we have a brain, but we can't really control our brain and we don't even really know how our brain works and isn't that the crazy opposite of what a brain should be yeah. <laughs> like the most amazing organ in your entire body and indeed like on the earth as far as we know can't figure itself out yeah that seems strangely like what's locking that door it's just really interesting it's crazy yeah i was reading an article while researching the story that we're going to get into in a moment but they were talking about how um and i'm paraphrasing the fuck out of this so i apologize but they were talking about how a lot of that stuff they think scientists think that when we see things like that or we attribute um personality and intention to things that move Mm. so if you hear a twig break in the woods you're like, something is coming. Something's stepping on it because it's our primal brain. Yeah, kept us alive. That is keeping us alive in there. It's trying to rule out what's a threat and what's not a threat. So we will create imaginary predators to keep us safe. Yeah. And so they t- the, the article used example, and this is from, uh, I believe this was from Slate.com. But it, it um, brings up the example of like, if you see a leaf flow, you know, blowing in, in the air and you mistake it for a UFO, um, there's no, no there's no ill to come out of going, other than maybe sounding crazy, going like, oh, there's a danger there. Right. But if you were to see a UFO and go, oh, that's safe, and then it fires a beam at you yeah. and you die, then your brain your brain hasn't helped you out in that situation. Yeah, you know I think what it's I mean? truly the reason we're here today is we have that instinct. So yeah. by and large, it's a really good thing so especially when you're out in nature where a lot of this stuff happens people will attribute you know perceived threats to help just just your reptile brain or whatever keeping you keeping you safe i think also with that too is that it it assigns like a sort of a story and a sense of order Mm. to things yeah that's like why people get so into conspiracy theories because 
it at least makes them feel like someone's in charge. Yeah, or and, there's this is, yeah, something's making sense when right. it doesn't, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when the opposite is actually, like, the most terrifying thing is, like, no, it's all just meaningless chaos. It I is. You live and then you die. <laughs> I yeah. know. It's, it's, like, it's like, no, no, there's yeah. a cabal of uh, uh, blood-drinking uh, pedophiles yeah. that are reptile people. <laughs> right, well, and it's it, not chaos. <laughs> it brings it all full circle to, like... You know, that makes me understand why people are like, let's join a church. I know. Let's anchor our reality in some narrative. Because I do have to say that, you know, for as much anxiety as religion caused me as a child, um, sometimes life was easier when I could, like, just go, hey, God, can you mm-hmm. take care of me, please? I had the same thing. And I... I went through a real long period of transitioning away from that to kind of embracing the fact that there's no guarantees and there's there's no way to know. But I I the peace that I found and I mean like relative peace was that oh, there is no guarantees. It's not really on me. I obviously have to take responsibility for my own reaction. I don't mean that in like a nihilistic way, but right. that there you don't have to worry too much because you can't possibly conceive of the things that are going to come your way and so there was a little bit of a release of like oh okay i can worry about what i can worry about but other than that i don't have to be existentially full of dread because because who knows yeah it's it it felt like a little bit of a a reprieve like i was let off the hook a little bit. yeah you're not you're not in charge man no way i am sure not (laughs) you know (laughs) take just take care of yourself as best you can take care of the people you love and that's all you can do it's a real fucking knife twist is when something terrible does happen and you are religious you're like why would god do this to me you know yeah and then you sit there justifying it. you have to pack it it's like it's either a trial a punishment or you know, or you go, well, there's no God if this is possible. Then, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Then you have mm-hmm. a real crisis. So I think, yeah, I mean, your attitude almost sounds a little bit more Buddhist of that, like, non-attachment to, to things and being able to be like, it's all it's all open season. Everything's on the table. So don't attach or attribute too much connection to at least your own control over it because you can't, you know, that's when you do really suffer. Yeah, so. if I, I guess... That's nice. I I feel like it's like that's a compliment to say it's Buddhism because I mean maybe cos- cosmically I'm kind of that way personally. Well, I was going to say I'm Buddhist now, so let's. Tr- I want you to come to my church. Let's oh, do it. oh gosh, <laughs> he's got a tiny gosh. couch. Yeah. You guys I said I'm on. cosmically Buddhist. I, I have one chair that I squeeze my wife and I into. <laughs> with you sorry i interrupted no i don't even know what i was gonna say like i just personally my wife and i have learned to like take this great um solace in our our own time and personal life together so as silly as it sounds we'll wake up in the morning we'll have coffee we read the newspaper we put a little music on we try not to get right to work and we just kind of have like try to have a peaceful morning and if i have anything that's a heaven that's it and the cat comes and sits in my lap and it sounds so stupid no that sounds so nice but it it is a just a moment of oh wait it really is like if there's a heaven it's it's getting rid of complications and just these little peaceful moments I'm sure that's age too, but it, no. it means more than anything. I think you know? you're right. And if Bryce were here, he would agree with you 100%. He always Thanks, says, Bryce. Bryce always says, you know, when it comes to the bullshit or believe it, he goes, Heaven is a place on earth. Hell, it's a place on earth. It's yeah. just a Well, I of believe mind. that. Yeah. You know, all right. Well, I'm with gonna, you, Bryce. Yeah. <laughs> we're all with you, Bryce. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Mm. 
I think you're going to like this. I'm excited. All right. We're back with Matt Gorley, Bigfoot Collectors Club podcast. And, uh, this week for high strangeness, I wanted to pick something that a native Californian oh. might know about. I don't know. Maybe has even been to the place that we're going to discuss. Oh. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Mount Shasta in Northern California? I'm familiar of it. I, yes. Yeah. I can't even remember if I've ever been there. I don't think so. I've been there. I was there on a road trip a couple of years ago. Maybe we'll talk about it um, after this segment, but... Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it is full of mystery. Ooh. So tonight, we're talking about the mysteries of Mount Shasta. Lonely as God and white as a winter moon, Mount Shasta starts up sudden and solitary from the heart of the great black forests of Northern California. It's a quote from Joaquin Miller, poet and explorer. Lonely as God. Wow. Mystical Mount Shasta is located in the Cascade Mountain Range in Siskiyou County in Northern California. Reaching 14,179 feet high, this gorgeous peak is often surrounded by lenticular flying saucer-shaped clouds and is home to more than 100 different spiritual sects and 29 New Age businesses. It's a place that writer Brent Swanser from Mysterious Universe called Dripping with high strangeness. I'm going to show you a photo of one of these lenticular clouds <gasps> over Mount Shasta. That's incredible. And, I mean, it looks like there are... Con- this happens a lot, and it looks like there are just giant UFO motherships over the yeah. mountain. It's be- it's a beautiful place. So, um, a lot of... I, I, I This uh, segment was sourced from... A, a lot of this came from that uh, really great article on Mysterious Universe by Brent Swanser. Uh, Slate Magazine, Wikipedia, and various other websites. Um, and we're just really going to just get to the tip of the mountain on this one. This is a... I thought this might be a little a bit of a cakewalk. This this Mount Shasta business is crazy <laughs> town. So, legends of Mount Shasta go back centuries. The Modoc, Wintu, Atuwami, and Atsuwagi tribes have all at one point, uh, and, and the Klamath people, all at one point claimed that the land surrounding Mount Shasta uh, as their home, and the mountain was considered by all to be a sacred place, an enchanted land inhabited by small beings, strange lights, powerful spirits, and more. For some, Mount Shasta was a kind of heaven on earth. But populated by entities and inhabited with powers that are too strong for human residency. To walk up the mountain past the tree line was often considered to spell doom for unsuspecting travelers and hikers. The Modocs believed Shasta was the landing point for the sky god of Above World, Skell, who would throw molten rocks at his enemy, Lao, the sun or the god of the below world who lived inside of Mount Mazma in Oregon. And the tradition of powerful entities living inside the Great Mountain continues to this very day. So Mount Shasta is a uh, dormant volcano. It uh, has erupted, they said, I forget the exact time number of times, but the last time that it erupted was in the 1700s. Oh. 
So it's possible that uh, the native peoples and indigenous tribes would see this volcano erupt from time to time. And, of course, that was uh, Skell, the god of above world, showing his anger. So in the late 1870s, when he was just 13 years old, writer and future New Age spiritualist Frederick Spencer Oliver was staking a claim while prospecting with his family below Mount Shasta when his hand began to shake and tremble violently. Frederick demanded pen and paper and ran home automatic writing and sat in his cabin writing and writing and writing, claiming that he was channeling messages by a being named Philos who lived in a holy city under Mount Shasta that he called Telos. Philos and his people, according to Spencer, were survivors of the lost continent of Lemuria, a fabled land that was thought by some to exist between Madagascar and India, which would explain why lemurs were found in both places. I didn't know about the lemur connection. Yeah, it's named, <laughs> there was a, a naturalist who was trying to figure out how they had lemurs in India and Madagascar and theorized, theorized that there must have been a land bridge at one point uh, yeah. that he called Lemuria. It was a hypothetical continent. Uh, and, in, and it has connections to Atlantis as well. Right, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so there, it's another one of these subterranean lost continents. I was going to say that sounds like the like Atlantis theory. It is. Um, and, you know, I think that this guy, the whole lemur thing was sort of an offhand comment but it really struck a chord with the New Age uh, people. And this is where it sort of began. So, for years, Frederick Spencer Oliver would channel Philos, who gave him visions of a beautiful, advanced city that existed inside the mountain, populated by tall, ethereal, slender beings who could move objects with their minds and flew in and out of the mountain in flying cigar-shaped ships. Published by Frederick's mother after his death in 1905, A Dweller on Two Planets chronicles the story of the, of the Lemurians living inside Mount Shasta and sparked a century-long New Age movement. In the book, Oliver writes of amazing technology that the, the Lemurians wielded, which included televisions, air, conditions, air conditioning, holograms, <laughs> and cellular phones all from the perspective of a young man living in the late 1800s. So it's cool. He said that this that Philos and his people had survived the extinction event in Lemuria and traveled centuries ago to California, and then they built their their city under Mount Shasta. And they've lived, they live there to this day, and locals even talk about seeing beings in white robes coming down to and shopping among <laughs> among the people who live in Mount Shasta. <laughs> but it's great because like all this stuff, it's kind of like this great, you know, it's considered by some to be true. You know, it's kind of like this like Joseph Smith stuff or that like, yeah. you know, a lot of sci- Scientology, you know, this yeah. idea of in the turn of the century, there were all these people that were sort of, science fiction writers and also channelists who were getting visions by enlightened beings they claimed and Edgar Casey the sleeping prophet was one of these people he he claimed that he had seen Thelos and in, in his i believe uh his uh astral projections 
But uh, it's just it's fascinating that a lot of the tech that he claims that he saw is stuff that became very modern in uh, in the second half of the 20th century. There's also um, the story. There are stories of the Octavians, who are another race of enlightened beings that are said to use the power of sound waves to manipulate reality. The I Am movement was a big spiritual sect that grew from the legends of Mount Shasta. Theosophist Guy Ballard was hiking along Mount Shasta in the uh, early 30s when he claimed to come across the Ascended Master St. Germain or the Comte de St. Germain who we discussed with Bryce two episodes back. This is a, this is a figure that pops up in New Age texts. Uh, he's supposedly lived for centuries and he's considered to be an Ascended Master by some, a vampire by others. Uh, but St. Germain... And other Ascended Masters began regularly communicating with Guy and his wife, Edna Ann Wheeler Ballard. And they published their teachings and assembled the Ascended Masters Teachings Religious Movement. By the late 1930s, the IM Movement, AM for Ascended Masters, boasted a million followers before eventually, uh, eventually dwindling after Guy Ballard's death in 1942. However, the New Age movement still exists nationally, and visitors can still visit the St. Germain Reading Room in Mount Shasta. And this I wanted to quote directly from uh, the article that I read from Mysterious Universe, because this is just too insane. And uh, writing about the Lemurians, and and this is... uh, Brett Swanser writes, Brent Swanser writes, Although the Lemurians of Mount Shasta are generally seen to be benevolent and nonviolent, the same cannot be said of the truly outlandish tale of what were known as the Darrows, short for degenerate robots. <laughs> which were said <laughs> My favorite kind. <laughs> I know. Which were said to be Lemurian robots which had gone insane and become malevolent machines bent on murder, mayhem, and destruction. Whoa. The Darrow's Tale was popularized in the 1940s by a Richard Shaver. Again, there's old Dick Shaver, uh, who used to write for Amazing Stories with Ray Palmer. Oh, wow. He believed, Shaver believed them to be the source of all of mankind's woes. As completely absurd as this may all sound, there was an interesting story related by researcher and author David Polites. Again, another Bryce Johnson yeah, favorite. All that greatest hits here. It's all coming together. <laughs> about a young child who went missing while on a camping trip with his parents on the mountain in 2011. The boy apparently suddenly disappeared without a trace and was not found for five hours, after which the shaken child came back with an extremely weird story to tell. According to him, he had been abducted by an evil robot that had looked and sounded just like his grandmother, and taken to a huge underground cave populated by other human-looking robots, as well as giant spiders. Because why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah, evil robot grandma. <laughs> You're a kid. Come on. You get, you <laughs> the get real to grandmother later claimed to have woken up face down on the ground, feeling violently ill, and with a small puncture wound on the back of her neck 
presumably so that the robot could steal the genetic information it would need to duplicate her. I mean, this is insane stuff. <laughs> We've got tall, ethereal white beings, cigar-like crafts, uh, Octavians who are moving things with sound waves, and now <laughs> evil robots living on the mountain. Sounds pretty good. Also, you're, the Nova, the dog, is just at times staring at me like a human and with this music which is happening live and is amazing by the way Thanks. i i'm having my own spiritual experience oh. <laughs> over here this dog is bewitching yes me. he right will on. communicate with you telepathically just uh, just wait for the uh, message oh my god <laughs> so of course we need to talk about the ufos around mount shasta okay shasta is said to be uh said to rest upon the crossroads of powerful ley lines making it an epicenter for powerful energy vortices and enchanted healing waters. Oliver wrote about the Lemurians flying ships, and indeed, Shasta is a hotbed for UFO activity. Not only have strange lights and crafts been seen flying above Mount Shasta, witnesses have even claimed to see reddish-green lights emanating from within the mountain itself. Uh, I found a report on... New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, from February of 2015. And this is from an eyewitness who's an airline captain. He says, I'm an airline captain. My co-pilot and I were on our way from LAX to PDX uh, at flight uh, 380, and we were in the Mount Shasta area. It was a smooth flight, and very little ATC communications were going on. We decided to look out, up, uh, look out and up at the night sky for falling stars and or satellites passing overhead. We were heading about 310 degrees and our two o'clock and to our two o'clock high, maybe 50 degrees up from the horizon, I noticed two brighter than normal stars and mentioned to my co-pilot that I didn't remember ever seeing those two stars that were brighter than the surrounding stars in the background. The two lights were approximately an inch apart in the windscreen and the size of normal stars. Just as I said that, one of the stars just dimmed out over about a 10-second time span, followed by the other one dimming out completely in about 10 seconds also. The stars, now obviously lights, were not in motion. They were not satellites, and they were not falling stars. They were as stationary as the stars in the background. We were flying in crystal clear skies and were, and were not flying through any clouds whatsoever. These two lights were not following the typical west-to-east orbital path as most satellites do and were just sitting there kind of like ships hiding in plain sight. The altitude of the lights appeared to be outside of the atmosphere. We were flying at 38,000 feet, approximately 7 miles up, and these were at least 100,000 feet up. The thing was, they were extremely bright and not moving. Mankind does not have craft that can fly at that altitude and not be moving. Speculation surrounding Mount Shasta and UFOs purports that its summit might be a popular refueling station for alien craft. <laughs> or that Shasta is a portal to another dimension, or a gateway to the hollow earth, where the pilots of said mysterious crafts are rumored to dwell. Perhaps Lemurians do exist, after all. Shasta is also a stomping ground for this podcast's very own mascot, Bigfoot. <laughs> and many believers say that the Sasquatch that inhabits the shadows of the mountain can cross between dimensions and materialize out of thin air. This is an encounter that I found from BigfootEncounters.com. 
Two identified gentlemen reported that they had seen a Bigfoot while drinking beer in the Bunny Flats campground. <laughs> they said the Bigfoot had come out of the forest, knocking off a branch at the nine-foot level, and the Sasquatch allegedly gave them a crystal and went back into the woods. Oh, man, I want that to happen so badly. <laughs> know, that is too. the best camping trip ever. <laughs> and Bigfoot tracks were found above the 8,000-foot uh, level uh, when this guy went out to investigate. In 1976, a logger by the name of Virgil Lawson and his partner, Pat, Con- Pat Conway, encountered a seven-foot-tall, hairy, black-matted, fur-covered Sasquatch that smelled like a half-rotten bear. Mm. It looked at the loggers for a while before running off into the woods. They went to get their gun, and when they came back, it was gone. But they could smell that rotten, squatchy stink. <laughs> Squatchy. So whether you believe in all of the legends surrounding Mount Shasta or not, its draw is undeniable. Today, it is a beacon for both hikers and hippies, and home to a spiritual movement that continues well into the future. And that is just the tip of Mount Shasta and the (laughs) mystery surrounding it. I love this place. It's Super crazy. I love all the lore around Have you it. been there? I have. I went there um, in, uh, I would say it's been it's been over 10 years ago. It was probably mid-2000s. I was on a road trip up to um, uh, uh, Vancouver where I was filming a show at the time. And a friend who was riding with me, we stopped there. And it's near the town, Mount Shasta and the Mountain are near another town called Weed. And this is oh, before... Right. Uh, we uh, had legalized marijuana here in California. We're like, well, let's go get some weed and weed. You know, we just figured it would yeah. be a funny thing to do. Yeah. And you pull over, and immediately you get you stop the first gas station. You stop it. It's just full of Bigfoot T-shirts uh. and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, dude, this is cool. <laughs> so we started doing a little like light googling and found out that Mount Shasta was apparently a portal to another dimension, the hollow earth and all this stuff. And that's when I first started hearing about all of these things. So we uh, went to Mount Shasta and we stopped at the stage door. I think it was called the stage door saloon. And we were told if we hung out there long enough, a guy would come in, we'd know him when we saw him and we could buy weed from him. And so we (laughs) sat there and then this dude who just looked like your textbook Big stoner hippie Bigfoot. <laughs> it was Bigfoot. Well, yeah, just, I got these crystals. And, uh, this guy smelled like rotting weed. bear meat. Uh, came in and we we're like, "Are you the guy?" He's like, "Yep." He's like, 50 bucks. I'll be back in a half hour." And we're like, "Okay." So we just handed this guy money. <laughs> wait, you handed him and he left? You didn't wait for him to come back with it? No, he said he'd be back. I don't remember what happened, but yeah. we waited. And sure enough, he came back. This guy had like bright blue. This guy had like bright blue dreads. You know, we were just like, "This is the dude." Yeah. And he like wandered out of the woods, and he had this bag of just the biggest, most beautiful bud I've ever seen. (laughs) And we smoked that stuff driving. Oh God, it was really, really, really good. (laughs) It was really good. But yeah, there's a bunch of like new age. There's like crystal shops there. Yeah. you know, like lots of there's like the the rainbow room, you know, like rainbow reading room or something like that. You know, there's like all this stuff, but it's it's also very like mountain prospecting town too. Mm-hmm. So you have this like cross between like old prospecty vibe, oh, prospector vibes, yeah. and like hippie stuff and new age cult, uh, you know, stuff. 
But it's gorgeous. The mountain is beautiful. That area up there is my favorite topography oh, on the planet. It's the totally. best. I mean, basically like Endor. It's just yes. yeah, it really gorgeous. Is. Yeah. 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 And this is a little west. This is off like the five freeway. Mm-hmm. And um and this mountain is kind of like it's kind of like where this part of Cal- Northern California that's it, it is forested, but it's also like a little bit more desolate. Mm-hmm. And then this just huge mountain is right there mm-hmm. on the Cascade Range, just like heading up towards Mount St. Helens and stuff. Um, it's very close to the Oregon border. Um, but boy, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, it is prime Bigfoot country and it is just a magical place. I see why like Sedona, Arizona. Have you ever been no. to Sedona? Mm-mm. Another place where it's supposed to be a lot of ley lines and energy vortices, yeah. vortices and, um, you you see why it is a, uh, just a, a magical place and why it would have so many stories. But you go into the... I could have gone down a... I mean, this is such a rabbit hole to go down. But there are just all these weird stories of people encountering or disappearing and, you know, people claiming that they... Like, just all these vanishings all in that yeah. area. It's very, very, very strange. You can see lots of videos of weird craft flying over Mount Shasta and... I don't know. It's a cool spot. And I was like, uh, I wanted to do a California place. Yeah, I appreciate that. For a native Californian. Um, yeah, it's, you should go check it out I, I Any trip excuse to go up there. I This is funny that we're talking UFOs, too, because I have two creative projects in my life right now are basically UFO-based. Really? And just, oh. just like feels like the zeitgeist is kind of... Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. UFOs are trending. <laughs> yeah, they're back. Yeah. What uh, do you think? What the hell is that? What do you think's up with Mount Shasta? Uh, Why is it such a mecca just, for weird stuff? Just, uh, I think, I mean, if you're asking me, it just yeah. sounds like oral history passed down and uh, like, um, uh, what's the word? Um, ex- exagger- not exaggerated, but added to and yeah, the fun. Heightened. Like, it seems like it'd be fun to tell those stories and have those experiences. And, you know, uh, it's hard to, for me to believe, but yeah. I love to hear it. Yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, right? I, I love that because there's a lot of general UFO kind of lore and stuff, but I love one that's specific and specific to a place and has literal characters. Yeah. you know, like that's great. That's what's so cool about it is it is sort of like a cross between, and I haven't read the Dweller on Two Planets. I'm going to uh, obviously now, but it is kind of cool that it's sort of a cross section of folklore theosophy new age religion and just science fiction and it's all it's it's so cool that like california is a place where a lot of that stuff we've given birth to so many weird yeah uh, like like religions you know i don't yeah. know i don't want to say really i don't know but that's like, true well like pentecostalism comes from california it's, it's, and los angeles I mean, even and scientology yeah. and all this stuff that we're talking about there's all there were all these like new age spiritualist movements out here around the turn of the century you know there's like the Cretoan society near where i live in hollywood which was like they tried to build a new age utopia in the hollywood hills and failed in the 20s because oh, i'm wow. sure too many people started swapping wives but um <laughs> but then there's also <laughs> there's also the vedanta church or vedata church uh in my neighborhood and like Aldous Huxley used to go there oh, and wow. meditate, and it's sort of like a cross between. I'm not even sure if it's if it's um, 
Hinduism or Buddhism. It's a sort of a cross of all of that New Age stuff as well. So there is this, like, I don't know, there was something about California, I think, like, people came out here in the 20s and 30s, and they were just like, let's start over. Yeah, and the, the just the land, it's got to make you feel like you're free, and you're, it makes you feel spiritual. I feel that anytime I go up to Big Sur or something and just see, yeah, I feel like I'm in Japan yeah. or something. Well, and there's stories that I found of of, like, Lemurians coming into town and buying things with, like, gold nuggets like solid gold nuggets so there's this other thing of like gold being a precious metal yeah right and like gold being underground that a lot of these like legends come from as well but it's almost like you hear people talk about it they're like oh yeah that's the lemurians they're up in the mountain doing their thing you like know? they might as well be saying like that's like the fundamentalist mormons yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just we, we keep they keep to themselves and <laughs> it's cool that there's like this folklore of like an ancient like civilization living under a mountain in yeah. california i, I love, love it. that the lemurians are like the most quintessentially california aliens too. <laughs> yeah. they just have like crystals and robes they're and long super hair surfery. they're really chilled out <laughs> apparently they have like a walnut sized organ that pops out of their forehead out of their third eye and then that's what they can move things around with oh god it's really guys it's very weird stuff, and uh, I, I, I'm sorry I'm only giving you guys the Cliff Notes version. But have I talked about the Source family at all and oh. my connection to that? I you have a connection to that? Show? Maybe you've I mentioned do. Yeah. It. Oh. So it's funny because it's connected to this. My my Source. I'm in, I'm a member of the Source family. Oh, I think officially I do know this. I'm in yeah. the cult. Um, I mean, it's no longer active, but I was like initiated by one of the early my members. God, that's but right. But so my my uh, Source family name is Telos Aquarian. After the Lemurian city in Mount Shasta. Whoa. And tell us, I got to look it up. It's a Latin word. Do you remember what it stands for, Riley? I honestly don't. Um, I was pretty stoked when I I was given the name. I think it stands for like, it means passage. I have a cult connection myself. I own David Koresh's guitar. Shut up. (laughs) That's true. That's insane. It's a 78 Ibanez musician. And That's I just so weird. bought it at this vintage store, and and they said, "Oh, by the way, that was owned by David Crush. We didn't want to tell anybody until after the sale." So, whoa, weird. I, there's no like documentary evidence or sure. anything. Like that, but but yeah. why would they make that up? I don't know. And it had like an uh, in the case. There's a like sticker with the handwritten name. David Koresh in there. And, well, I mean, that's pretty legit. Yeah. That's what a collector's corner segment that could be. Yeah, I know. A bizarre collector's I know. That is. Yeah. That, whoa. I mean, that's there a, must be photos of him with the guitar. I've looked and right, looked. I've never found, found it. it. And mm. how did you come across it? I bought it as, as a used guitar at a vintage store. It was uh-huh. actually at a Sam Ash, but this one in Orange County had like a special vintage annex. It was, it was like a separate kind of, I don't know if it was like a, if it was them directly or someone like it was some kind of partnership thing. Right. And then, um, uh, Oh, Oh, so he apparently owned it and left it behind in San Francisco when he moved to Waco and it was his roommate. Like, I guess he left and just left a bunch of shit behind and his roommate came down to LA and sold it. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like his roommate with all his shit. He's like, yeah. this guy fucking left all yeah. his stuff here. Yeah. yeah that is a, he probably a took his idea. wife. Yeah. <laughs> left his guitar. <laughs> wow. Uh, tell us, by the way, means um, an ultimate object or aim. Righteous. Do it. So. But yeah, I, I uh, so the, the Source family was a, a like a, Cult is a strong word, but it was a cult. It was a cult. Yeah, in there's the a 60s. documentary about that. Yeah, there's yeah. a great documentary about it. Although some of the 
source people don't necessarily agree with the documentary. I'm but, sure, yeah. You know, it's, it's one version of the, <laughs> the story. The cult yeah. members don't like the documentary about the cult? I know, it's a shocker, but... Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was like this like really kind of, it started out super dreamy and uh, idealistic and they opened the first, I think, vegan or vegetarian restaurant on Sunset Boulevard right. back in the oh. 60s and they were all oh, working right. there. They had a band uh, called Yehoah 13 that the, the cult leader was the, like the lead singer of uh, the of band. Of course he was. And they would go, <laughs> as, yeah. as you would, and they would go to like the high schools and like recruit hippies Ooh, back in the day. Uh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I'm, I'm friends with... Uh, the guy who was the guitar player in the band, and now he's like this old hippie, and he lives up in Shasta. Oh man, of and he's, course, he's a great, he's a great character, and so he'll still he'll indoctrinate people into the Source family that he meets, you know, just to keep just it keeping the, yeah, keep the spirit that. alive. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, yes, I definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely want an Aquarian, <laughs> yeah, dude. That's so great. Uh, well, that wraps up another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, guys. Matt Gorley, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a delight. Uh, thank you for sharing your Sunday afternoon. Thank you for having me. House. Yeah. Um, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, mention well you can check out in myers we trust with paul rust and myself and super ego the podcast is out now which is kind of improvised character stuff but then you know tightened up so it doesn't waste too much of your time and we have <laughs> two former guests are on that show mark mcconnell mcconville oh. sorry and uh paul f Tompkins. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, mcconnell um so that's great definitely check out uh anything that matt's involved in you should definitely definitely check out um Watch new season Robot Chicken. The episodes that I worked on have aired by this point, so definitely check that out. Um, and also remember to set your DVRs for Bryce's new show, Expedition Bigfoot, which is coming out on the Travel Channel in December. I think originally it was November, now it's been pushed to December. I think so that's correct, yeah. uh, if, I, I don't know too much information about it, but we're super excited that uh, we can finally talk about that uh, project. And good we'll thing be, he's not here now. Yeah, that we but can finally talk. Listen, about he'll it. be back next week, and we're going to be. Ta- I'm sure we're going to be talking about it a lot in the months to come. For sure, uh, Riley. Where can people find you? At trashbag hashtag for my monthly photo of garbage on the internet. Awesome. Great. Yeah, that's good. So I'm McMills on all this stuff. Uh, please, a uh, couple things. If you want to support the show, you can do that a couple ways. Number one, go to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the other side, over on Patreon.com. For just $5 a month, you can unlock multiple bonus reward episodes. Or if you uh, want to, you don't want to join that, but you want to uh, support the show, Go check out our T Public shop. Mm-hmm. Pick up one of our numerous cool T-shirts there. You'll look good uh, doing it. Um, and then I guess that's it. Till next time, uh, I remain Michael McMillan for Bryce Johnson, Riley Bray. Thanks again to Matt Gorley. And until next week, good night. And go get regrets. <laughs> Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eater, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, check out our Patreon feed, BCC, The Other Side, at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club, and unlock multiple bonus episodes every month. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, 
Why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.